It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. All right, let me turn you up so I can actually hear you. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the uh, the episode. Uh, please do hit that subscribe button, of course, so you can keep up with the entire series. You'll get three brand new interviews sent to you every single week. New and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover those new ones. You can do so at any of the usual uh, podcast places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can grab us at NPR, WFPK.org, Consequence, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. But if you head over to Apple Podcast and subscribe there, hit the follow button, and then leave us a review, uh, you could have a chance to win some great merchandise from Consequence and get a shout out right here on this uh, series as well. Again, head over to Apple Podcast, uh, hit the follow button, write us a review, take a screenshot of that review, and then head to the show notes here on this series. Uh, There'll be a link there that you can drop all of that ads and uh, submit for some prizes. That's over at Apple Podcasts. And there's plenty of reasons to do it, too, uh, considering all the great guests that we have on here all the time. Uh, Recently, including actresses Kate Siegel, uh, we talked about uh, uh, the fall of the House of Usher with Kate, uh, Shelley Hennig from Obliterated on Netflix. We had director Mick G on to talk about the Netflix movie Family Switch, as well as the band X Ambassadors, Chicago, R.E.M., the cast of Goosebumps, the director from Hunger Games, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Dolly Parton, Rufus Wainwright, Bush, Everclear, Johnny Marr of The Smiths, Paul Rogers of Bad Company. Just an example of what you get when you subscribe to the Kyle Meredith With podcast. And that's me, Kyle Meredith. Today, so excited to welcome Roseanne Cash. We are talking about the uh, just-released 30th anniversary edition of her album, The Wheel. Uh, released in 1993, it would uh, kick off what uh, pretty much becomes the second chapter of her career. Uh, she's going to talk about getting her master's back from Sony. That's how it led to this anniversary edition. Uh, what it was like to make this record as her life was in a complete upheaval. And the beauty of an album that has an artist's back up against the wall. Uh, Roseanne's also going to discuss the uh, scene of musicians she found in early 90s New York. Having director Mary Lambert helm the video for The Wheel and the Austin City Limits and Columbia Records Radio Hour live sets that fill out the uh, anniversary edition, which uh, the latter of those uh, featuring backup vocals from uh, David Byrne 
on one song. As for the present day, Roseanne's going to reveal how she'll be reimagining some of the songs for the upcoming Reinventing the Wheel tour. She'll give us the story on singing with the National on their song Crumble and plans to have Matt Berninger uh, sing on a track of her own for an upcoming release and that she's covered Lou Reed's Magician for an upcoming tribute album. All of that and more, we're talking 30th anniversary edition of The Wheel. It's Kyle Meredith with Roseanne Cash. Hi, Kyle. It's nice to speak with you. It's nice to see you. Um, I've been fan follower for so long, and and you put out some incredible music over the years, but I'm really extra excited because we sort of get to jump back in time today and talk about one of your biggest albums, the uh, 30th anniversary of The Will, which just got re-released. So first off, um, 30 years of this one, uh, I, I, it always seems weird, congratulations, but I feel like you have to say congratulations, you know, it's <laughs> like it exists. It, well, not only congratulations for this re-release, but that I, after 30 years, I got my master recordings back from Sony, which is why we're re-releasing it. And I didn't expect how um, it would feel to actually get my master recording back and to own them after 30 years it was uh, it was really moving to me you know and and that's kind of what led to thinking about re-releasing it remastering it it's exactly the original recording but we remastered it and um it started my own record label with john leventhal rumble strip records and so this is our first release on uh, rumble strip heck of a first release by the way it's uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, 30 years. It's hard to believe. I mean, that's the first uh, album that we made together, the first recordings we made together, the first songs we wrote together. And it was a transformative time in our lives. And, you know, I I don't usually like looking back and listening to my old work. And so I was had a little trepidation about listening to it again i hadn't listened to it in years and years and then i was i was touched you know it's like that's a really accurate reflection of that time in our lives we fell in love making this record you know we've now been together 30 years and i'm proud of it Let, let's take that moment then let's you know let, let's head back to that era uh you know in 1993 and around there especially because i know there's a big story you know musically lyrically this seemed like a big jump from where you had been previously with interiors. I think the story's been told, but you know, if for, for, for interview's sake, what happened during that time? What led to that? Well, it was actually, I mean, I think of it in three steps. Like I had King's Record Shop in the late 80s, that album, which the cover was from Louisville, from old King's Record Shop in Louisville. Um and that was really successful album. You know, it was the first time a woman had gotten four number one singles off of one album. So I had a lot of leverage with the record label. And I said, I want you to give me a lot of money and I want you to let me produce my next album myself. <laughs> and they said, okay, and okay. So I, my marriage to Rodney Crowell was starting to fall apart. And I was writing these very dark songs and that became interiors. So that was a really dark interior acoustic based record that I produced myself and the label didn't want it. They said, we can't do anything with this. And I said, well, it's going to get worse. <laughs> so they transferred me from Nashville to the New York division of the label. And then eventually I transferred myself to New York. Um, 
32 years ago. And I started writing the, I had met John Leventhal. I started writing these songs that were just full of fire and longing and um, transformation and destruction, you know, very powerful time in my life. And I asked him to produce the record and he said, I'll co-produce it with you. So, and then we wrote a few of the songs together, but um, God, it was a turning point in my life. It's, you know, everything was both despair and the excitement of a whole new life. And I hear that in those songs. Yeah, that's a, I think I was reading and maybe the bio of this record, the uh, one sheet or whatever, you know, like you, you thought there was a moment where your career might be done and I, there's something about a back against the wall album. Yeah. Like, right. You know, yeah. A lot of times those end up being like, you know, the sophomore album or whatever. Like I, I've always said, like, I have a, I have an, I, a weird love for sophomore albums, you know, especially the ones that don't work. Those are some of my favorites. This one isn't a sophomore record, but it is sort of in that, you know, same vein, like, this could all leave just as quick as it become to hear, you know, like, I know we hear this different than you hear this, like you hear this and especially knowing that some of this record is new love. And I don't know how much this record is also still telling the tale of, of the divorce right behind it, but what an interesting juxtaposition, like how much of that really is right on the surface for you. I have to say, you really caught my attention when you said that you love sophomore records, particularly if they aren't good. We should have a really long conversation, Kyle, about a lot of things. I mean, please let it take you where you want it to take you right now. Yeah, no, I, I, we just dropped to a whole new level. I'm really digging this. Um, and I even forgot the particulars of the question, but let's just say the album isn't a diary. And yet it's it's from the deepest parts of myself and what I was going through then. And, you know, maybe I overused my nature metaphors. Maybe there's, you know, a bit of new age language in it, 1993, but it was real. And, um, and John and I, the first song we wrote together, 7th Avenue, I was living overlooking 7th Avenue in Greenwich Village and just, you know, at the bottom, just like, what have I done? I've broken up a 12 year marriage. My kids are, you know, my kids, God, all of it. If you know anyone who's been through divorce, you know, and yet there's this new life on my horizon. How am I going to integrate all of this? Well, you know, those kind of moments lead to some really good art and music as we know. And it wasn't that successful. And yet it found its audience, which is really all you can hope for. Because people say to me still, man, that record got me through my divorce or this. I, I had two journalists tell me that they were both separately embedded in war zones during when that record came out, separately listening to it and that they got married. Oh, wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like that's and we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies, yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice, it affects my mood, it affects everything. 
And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them work better than others, but there's, there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now, and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. With all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the, the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E. P-R-O-Allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Roseanne Cash. And and it should be said, like, you, th- th- this record found its audience without the radio. Yeah. Even being part of the equation as it, you know, might have hope to have been like and i think that even coming from a person who spent most of his career in radio like that's one of the best things that says so much about what the record because there's a lot of records that get just get embedded because they get played so much whether or not they're great you know maybe they're fine but but i think it just says something about this album that it didn't need that and still yet here we are celebrating it yeah, and it was a risk too, and it was a turnstile into a whole other life for me, you know. And I, I felt it was a risk at the time. I was scared, but it was the right thing to do to climb out on that limb. Okay, I mean, there's that line in there in Seventh Avenue, said, "I am not a lighthouse." Like, there's a lot of great lyrics throughout this record, but that one just, that one punches, you know, no. because that says so much. Thank you. You know, right away. All right, so I'm I'm gonna take your sidebar when I talk about the sophomore records and the and the ones like what 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 came to mind for you? Well, what came to mind for me was about you. I was thinking, wow, this guy's a deep listener, and also I have a friend who um, he taught the history of popular music at a school here in New York, and he and I have had this argument for years that he says there are no there is no evolution in an artist's life. There is no evolution in the work. He said it's only about stages different stages and phases of the artist's work well i disagree i think there probably is some kind of evolution you know i don't overuse nature metaphors anymore (laughs) but whatever but that came to mind when you said the sophomore records that aren't very good it's like well you're paying attention to the stages that um are lesser known or lesser uh accepted and that's interesting to me i mean my sophomore record really would be seven-year ache so that was a big record for me but honestly the sophomore record would have been the, my first american record right or wrong because i made an album in germany before then so i don't know we could talk about this for days <laughs> like whose sophomore record do you really love 
Oh, it, it'd be hard to get because there's so many artists and, and it's not one specific, like I, I could probably put that list together, but I would have to, you know, take that moment to think about it. But I've always noticed that like, even there's something about when an artist is more or less having to scrape the barrel, right? Like the great songs are great. And most of the time they're undeniable, but even like, um, like I, I collect soundtracks. I love, you know, that's musically. And and what I love about those is those are a lot of times the cast off, like the label said, what do you got? Oh, this one didn't make a record. We'll put that out there. You know, it's like, well, that's the one I want to know about. That's the song, you know, why, why does it even exist? That, that type of thing. You know, I love, I don't know. I'm attracted to those type of songs. Which soundtracks do you really love? I have some soundtracks that I really. I've been going um, lately. I went back. There's a couple in the 80s, uh, nine and a half weeks, and she's having a baby. I've been listening to both of those for different reasons. Of course, the 90s were the apex of soundtrack culture. You know, they they were they were all throughout there. So so there's lots of those um, from the big ones like Days to Confuse and Godzilla to, you know, a lot of the smaller on there's a movie i found called uh amateur i think that actually came out a little bit later but it was part of the indie boom and you know and it was just like this i i in fact uh i was i was looking at that one that's where i i had never heard greg brown before and i found so there's discovery on those as well and you know it's that's what i love american beauty that's a great soundtrack great thomas soundtrack. yeah uh the mission do you know the soundtrack to the uh -uh. mission Mm -mm. Oh, that was beautiful. And Mark Knopfler's uh, soundtrack to Cal. You should check that out. I've heard so, some of it because he loves to score, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. and I could listen to him score anything, obviously. Oh, honestly. Me too. <laughs> me too. Well, speaking of artists like that and, and kind of pulling us back, you know, to, to the wheel, you found a scene in early 90s New York. I mean, even looking at the guests on this, you know, with Benmont. Bruce Coburn, Mary Chapin, Mark Cohn, Patty Larkin. You know, I, I don't know if you can, as you look back on, if you're able to kind of put it in the box, like what was the scene you found in the early 90s in, in New York? I found a, com a kind of anonymity that I really craved. I mean, living in Nashville was like living in a fishbowl. And I'm interior as a writer and uh i like the anonymity of being in new york and even if somebody recognizes you they're so cool about it you know hey saw you on letterman and then they keep, they keep walking you know don't really say anything um so i found people working at the top of their game who really weren't interested in celebrity and that was a relief and just incredibly inspiring to me and um, the music community and the writers community and the visual artist community here is one that I've just gotten, I'm humbled and inspired to have friends in all of those arenas. And it just makes me feel competitive in the best sense possible. Like I want to be at the top of my game as well. Do you find that New York directed your sound opposite of the way Nashville might have? Well, that's interesting. I don't know because you know John. I mean, I love um, early country and folk music and Appalachian and the blues as much as anyone on earth, and so does John. He was the only New Yorker I've ever met who knows his Merle Haggard and his you know Appalachian narrative ballads and his everything, and that was inspiring. So we met on that level, and at the same time, you know, he's very sophisticated. He's 
um, he listens to Copeland and Bernard Herman and, um, you know, Stephen Barber and everybody else, as well as Merle Haggard and the Carter family. So I think that he's pulled me into being a better version of myself. And I think maybe I've had that effect on him as well. I've never thought about it in that context, but I would be interested now to go back and listen to all your records and, and and see if I feel like that, you know, like if I, if I hear that, those New Yorkness, whatever that might mean, you know, in those instances. You know what I think that just occurred to me when you, uh, when we're talking about this is that when I was in the South, a lot of times I feel like pulling away from the South about going against the grain. And when I got to New York, it took a while, but I felt I could embrace all the Southerness that was a part of me, both ancestrally and musically. That's, I mean, I guess that's a common experience, right? You have to get away from something to really own it and love it. Yeah, you never want to celebrate it when you're here. Speaking as someone living nearly in the South, however you put it geographically. But it, it does seem to be celebrated when I when I leave. You know, yeah, like, sure. I, I get that and everything. You did one music video for this album. And you had Mary Lambert direct it. I was yeah. curious about that because it's interesting. Mary was coming off of Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery 2 specifically, <laughs> and the Red Shoe Diaries. Yes. <laughs> A little softcore there. <laughs> and this video wasn't any of that. I, and I, I didn't know if it, if that was, how, how did that, were you friends? Like, I just love to hear no. that. No, we met, um, I, I forget how it happened, but I'm sure the record label brought me some, directors and showed their work and you know when we chose Mary and um we shot it in LA and I mean I had some stupid idea that we would create scenes based on tarot cards like with the cross swords and laying on the the catafalque and you know this guy who spins in the air and all of this stuff and she was game for it you know so we created this whole thing and I remember one shot we were on the edge of a cliff in Malibu and there was no guardrail it was like an actual cliff and she wanted me to sit on this bench and get the shot and it was a little scary and afterwards I said to someone in the crew I said oh I think she was nervous about me falling off he goes she doesn't care if you fall off she wanted the shot <laughs> it's about the art that's what <laughs> Luckily, that didn't happen. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't happen. No, it was fun. I liked that video. I mean, you know, John kind of rolled his eyes at it. It's it's very much of the time and place and, you know, the tarot card thing. But it's, I think it's fun. <laughs> Especially, you know, coming in the age of music videos, you know, and that would yeah. You sort of had to have one and everyone was getting creative and, you know, and so much of because of because of when I grew up, I mean, so much of how I think about music and it is is always married with the visual. You know, it's like you don't hear the song without seeing the video. You know, some people complained about that at the time. Like, I don't want a video to take away my options for what I visualize with this music. Yeah. And I understood that. And, you know, there's no budgets for that anymore for people in my demographics like we're not going to give you two hundred thousand dollars to make a video figure out a lyric video you know write it on a piece of paper and take it with an iphone <laughs> <laughs> that's all and i miss it. i mean there are videos out there and i see them of course they're not curated toward us in this monoculture anymore but um uh, 
uh, I still love seeing, you know, when, when people do get the opportunity, it's still, I appreciate it, I guess. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I get it. And we'll be right back, right after this. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Roseanne Cash. So also with this anniversary edition, uh, we have some live music that I want to, so you put out the uh, the ACL performance that you did, and also the Columbia Records Radio Hour, which also had David Byrne stopping by. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm just going to throw out the big generic version of this question, but but what was it about these shows? I mean, is there any kind of fun story that comes along with them? Well, um, what you're talking about is that the, in the double album set and the double CD set, there's an extra disc that has live performances from that year. I mean, the the factor that holds them all together is they're from that year that the album came out. So they're all from 93. So Austin City Limits show, um, that was it was really fun. First time we performed the wheel songs live. And then the Columbia radio hour, which I think is not no longer. I don't think it exists anymore. I don't think it does either. Yeah. Yeah. So David Byrne and Lucinda Williams did that show with me and we did, uh, I think we did a couple songs from both interiors and from the wheel. That was, I actually, to tell you the truth, I didn't listen to it before they put it on. I didn't want to. I just said to my manager, does it sound good? He goes, yeah, it sounds great. I go, okay, let's do it. (laughs) The thing I heard, also being a David Byrne fan, and you might not remember this, obviously, if you haven't heard it, but I'd love to see it because what I hear from him, it doesn't sound bad, but he sounds so unsure yeah now okay so i did hear somebody played that live the other day and i heard part of it and i went wow he sounds unsure exactly that Uh but he probably was well yeah i don't i don't don't know if you guys rehearsed or what happened how that works but well if we rehearsed it was very minimal and i'm not sure he was used to singing harmony to you know but whatever it is what it is it's it's so fun to hear right yeah yeah Um, and so you take this back, the reinventing the wheel tour. That's that's what's coming up, right? Is this an opportunity to reimagine the songs or just to celebrate them? No, I think some some of them are reimagined. I would say. Um, so back up a bit. They were. I was supposed to do all of these dates in November and December, but I had knee replacement surgery in September. And it's taken longer to recover. And I really could not stand for two hours show. And I didn't want to do a BB King and sit through the whole show. (laughs) So, so we moved these dates to January and February, but um, yeah, some of the songs are reimagined and and the wheel is reimagined a bit because only three people in the world I have found who could play Stuart Smith's guitar part. One is Stuart Smith. One is Larry Campbell. And one is a stage tech in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> and John freely admits he cannot play that part. So uh, we're reimagining that guitar part for sure. What, what What is it about that guitar part that's... Oh, my God, Kyle. It's like, it's... How do you explain it? It's circular. It never stops. It's, it's just a relentlessly fast-moving circular guitar part that Stuart invented, and it's almost impossible to play. There's nothing enhanced about it on the record. It's, it's his actual fingers. That's it. Well, when you get something like that, well, that's fun. So, <laughs> so well, we got to you... get the stage tech in Sydney to come up. <laughs> Can't wait to hear what this, uh, what this all sounds like at the end of this. <laughs> Further on, I guess more in the present, uh, since you know you mentioned Rumble Strip, 
uh, did I see like John is releasing his debut album, right? He is during the pandemic. We have a recording studio in our, our home during the pandemic. He's been wanting to do this for a long time and he was kind of faced with it. Like I have this time, I have this music I've composed. I'm going to do it. So he, he recorded his debut album and it's going to be released January 26th. That's going to be the second Rumble Strip release. Um, and it's so beautiful. It's so complex and just deep. I think people will really be surprised. And there's some nice poetry that it's happening with the anniversary of this and that and yeah. your, the both of your story. Yeah, yeah totally. I don't know if you can plan that stuff, but uh, the stars aligned quite nicely for you all in that one. Um, I also want to point out, uh, I've been, we've been playing the national song Crumble quite a lot uh, right now. How did you, how did you end up on that one? So during the pandemic, Matt Berninger, who's the lead singer in the national, as you know, he just kind of contacted me out of the blue and said, do you want to write a song together? So we wrote a couple of things to, together, but not together, together by phone, by email, by, you know, sending uh, files back and forth. And um, then the time went by and they were making this latest album and they asked if John and I would be on it. So John's playing guitar on that track and I'm doing the the vocals with Matt. I just adore Matt's voice. He's just got one of the sexiest voices on the radio today. And it was a thrill. I loved singing with him. And I'm going to ask him to sing with me when I record this song that he and I wrote together that's quite beautiful as well. And if that wasn't enough, because uh, I was just going down the list here, uh, a Broadway musical, Norma Ray. Yeah, yeah, John and I have been working on this musical for six years now. So we're uh, hopefully we're going to get it staged in 24. We'll see. That's a lot going on. That's, that's a lot going on. Oh, you know, another thing you'll enjoy, too, is that we just did a thing for the Lou Reed tribute record. And oh. I think that will be out next year as well. Wow. Are you able to say what you did? Yeah. I mean, they gave me a choice and I chose um, the song Magician from Magic and Loss. Magic and Loss was my favorite record of his. And that song Magician is so dark and just and so eerie. I was just listening to uh, You Know You Were Loved. I don't know if that's the title of it. That's the hook of the song Yesterday. It's kind of one of those uh, little, I think it was... It might have been 90s Lou Reed, but a little forgotten, little toss off, you know, speaking of soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I can't wait to hear the uh, magician and everything. But here we are once again, celebrating 30 years of the will. Uh, a really a great, um, you know, absolutely fantastic piece of art that you all made in that time with your back against the wall. <laughs> it's a good album title itself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no seriously congratulations on this record and thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it oh it's a pleasure kyle i really really enjoy speaking with you and my thanks to roseanne cash the 30th anniversary edition of the wheel is out now Thanks, of course, to you for checking out the episode. Uh, please, again, do hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week. New and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, three a week to keep you up to date on your favorite artists and discover those new ones. Uh, grab us at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, at NPR, WFPK.org. 
Consequence, YouTube for the video versions, anywhere you get your podcasts from, subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Of course, don't forget that if you do it over at Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a review, take a screenshot of that review, and then hit the link in this episode. Uh, you can drop all that information into it and uh, could win some cool prizes from Consequence. That's at uh, Apple Podcast. After all that... Join me over at WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's four hours of favorites from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, lots of 90s. Uh, you also get the best in uh, new music. There are uh, bonus interviews, lots of music news as well. That's a Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also catch me on the social media sites. Uh, the address is always the same, at Kyle Meredith. So I do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It was really interesting talking to you. You've got a, a great trajectory in your questions. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media.